I didn't know how big Grandma's bowl was until <laughs> I tried to use my meager, meager bowl. Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. So last week I said something crazy about how elves are sort of genetically related to humans in D&D. Oh, boy. And, uh... Got some feedback? Yeah, we got some comments. Got some <laughs> comments on the Reddit. It turns out that uh, none of the species, even if they can interbreed, are in any way genetically related because they were all created by different gods, except for elves, which are unique. Uh, they were... I don't even know. It was like a god got hurt and he bled, and where he bled, that was elves. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so they weren't created. They were just like magical energy incarnate. Um, but have elves still exist? So like, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. So there are some different species that can reproduce in multiple generations. There was just a um, radio lab about, was it growler bears? I think that's what the name was called. It's a mixture of grizzly and polar bear. And there was a second, okay. they found a few second and third generation growler bears, but they're huh. just terrible at surviving because they have the worst traits of grizzly <laughs> and the worst traits of polar. I, right. But bears have more of a common ancestor in just like the proto bear right? than elves and humans did in the aeons unknowable before the gods existed okay but like if the line between species is being blurred even in our like scientific community okay like i think I we can blur it enough for humans and elves to be able to reproduce because hmm. elves don't exist <gasps> then who brings me my presence steven it's santa but uh, what do i you... thought santa was just a big elf i swear santa was what? just a big elf <laughs> no Santa Big Elf. He's a magic person, but he's... Right? Santa <laughs> Big Elf. See, if you search it like that, that's what you're going to find, but... Ooh, here's the New York Post. I have NPR. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NPR is a lot more reputable. Oh, it's a disgust, though. That's not reputable. No. He's not an effing elf. He supervised the elves. Doesn't make him one, according to this comment. I think he's an elf in a different incarnation like Gandalf. <laughs> Yeah, there are legends where Santa starts out as as an elf. Then he gets an upgrade and becomes the head elf. <laughs> Some guy who commented on a post in the NPR website says so. What does Wikipedia say? I didn't look at Wikipedia. He's a jolly old elf. That's in a thing. That's no. in The Night Before Christmas. A jolly jo old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. All right. Well, uh, you are the more religious of the two of us, so I'll give. I I'll just. I'll cede this to you. I don't think uh, <laughs> that's how this works. I don't think elves are inherently a very Christian thing. No, Santa is. No, from Saint Nicholas. Right, but like Santa with elves is not a saint. I agree. He's They're... not in the Bible, but he. <laughs> what? What else would he be then? I don't know. Norse pagan type mythology. <laughs> All right, so... I'm going to actually claim superiority not on religious backgrounds, but on the fact that I have been closer to the Swedish Laplands than you. All right, Which is fine. where Santa Santa's supposedly an resides. Santa's an elf. Speaking of things that you have superior knowledge about... Ooh. 
Yeah. Uh, any class you're taking, you will almost certainly have superior knowledge than I do. That's not for sure. That's why it's almost certainly. Okay. I'm taking a class in machine learning ethics, and I feel like you still probably know more about machine learning ethics than me. There, there are none. Just, just do, just, just do it. Um, that's my hot take. <laughs> Be a robot. Do crime. So, Zach, what are you? Uh, how are? Uh, how's the semester going? Uh, the semester is going all right. The semester for us, as people who listen in, know it's it's two pronged. There's like our our personal semester that we're trying to propagate with these semesterly themes. Mm, I don't like that word. Propagate is the wrong word. You're right. Um. <laughs> And then there's also the 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 school scholarly. That's the word. The scholarly yes. semester where we take classes and stuff. So probably of the classes I'm taking, my favorite scholarly uh, semester topic. I don't know <laughs> where that sentence was going or where it started, but it got there eventually. I've enjoyed my class in. Uh, it's like a programming languages survey, effectively. So you learn at the very beginning kind of what makes up a programming language. And now we're actually getting into the very first of the functional programming languages we're learning, which uh, functional programming language is one that doesn't have any side effects. <laughs> a headache, dizziness. I'm getting yeah. all of those with Swift. I disagree. <laughs> right, but that's because it's not functional. Okay. What's a functional language? Like, can you give me an example? Uh, Haskell is a functional. These are bad examples. Kotlin is okay. an imperative slash functional language. So probably the things you're thinking of are the imperative parts of it. Um, we're learning about ML, which is a functional language. Basically, it's just like, you know how sometimes you do loops? Yeah. In your programs, you don't do loops that way in functional languages. Uh, do you just type the code over and over again? No, you do it recursively. So there are only recursive loops. Right, because, oh, okay, yeah, the the way you explain it is that every single thing evaluates down to a singular value. Right. So a recursive function evaluates into a singular value, whereas a loop, it just kind of does some stuff, and that stuff all happens within the loop. Right, it all returns one value in the, okay, makes sense to me. And that's probably my favorite class, is the one where we learn about programming languages. And what about your personal theme for the semester? My semesterly theme was uh, the semester of housekeeping. And I'm doing good on one half of that, which was like the in-home housekeeping. I, you know, I've been doing dishes and vacuuming and all that good stuff. I even went out and did a big batch of laundry at the laundromat last week, like an adult. (laughs) But the other component of my semester of housekeeping was supposed to be digital housekeeping. I have a lot of piles of things that are just kind of accumulating, like articles and various videos, I suppose. I'm not on top of those, and I'm not sure what to do about it. My recommendation is to delete all the apps that you are using to do those things. I've deleted Twitter. So I'm basically no longer getting any new articles unless people, like, send them to me directly. I see. All right. But I'm still not uh, reading all the 10 articles per week that I was hoping I'd be able to. You're a busy person. Uh, I right. also have a, I have a gripe. I disagree that, adult, that it is an inherently adult thing to do your laundry at the laundromat. I think that 
uh, a true adult. Uh, the nature of adulthood is to do things you don't want to do, so you should just do the do your laundry in the sink. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but I think also another part of adulthood is the standards for what it is to be an adult have gotten higher as technology has increased. Hmm. So now because the technology has increased to the level where you could theoretically go to the laundromat, making the trek to the laundromat and spending the time at the laundromat is now the adult thing to do because it's it's larger and it's more and it can be more frequent, which is just what's expected of you because the technology has the technology has improved the standard of living, and so now people just expect better things. I see. But does it make you more of an adult if you do your laundry in the sink? Hmm. That's a good question. Is there an adultness scale? I think if you do your laundry in the sink at the rate that everyone else is doing it in their washers, mm. then yes. But if I you're see. doing it less frequently, but in the sink, I think you're on the same level of adult as people who just do their laundry in a washer. Yes, this makes sense. This makes sense. Let's talk about dishes. Dishes? Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, I like I said, I'm on top of things in the the physical world, so I can dole out some advice. Zach, do you have a machine dishwasher? Uh yes. Do you use it? Occasionally. Okay. Under what circumstances do you use a machine dishwasher? It gets full. Okay, when do you put your dishes in the machine dishwasher and not just hand wash it? Uh, I actually very rarely put stuff in the machine dishwasher. Okay, why? I usually just hand wash if I'm going to. Does it make you feel more like an adult? Because sometimes I take plates out of the dishwasher and they're still dirty. The, do you and I'm do like, hey, dishwasher. Dis- you're supposed to... Please clean my dishes. That's your job. It's in the name. You, you gotta tell it to Wash Zach. them. I no, I understand. A fundamental misunderstanding. <laughs> the dishwasher has run, and I take the plates out. I don't just reach into the dishwasher seconds after putting a plate in there, expecting a <laughs> totally clean plate. Okay, so it it has run, but the plate's still dirty. Right, or like knives, especially they get oily because mm. you like you're spreading butter or something, and the knife is still kind of oily, and the dishwasher does a very bad job of getting the oil off, potentially because. I think we might put the knives knife side down, handle side up, which is not how you do clean utensils hmm. in a dishwasher. I'm just putting this together now. So allow me to suggest something. Did you, let me ask you something else. Did you grow up with a a nice dishwasher, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with a mediocre dishwasher, mm-hmm. one similar to the one we have now, where mm-hmm. it's not going to get everything. Right. So yeah. our method was always take your your scraper brush, not the not the soapy brush, but the scraper brush. Okay. And just give it a once over all the way down, then put it in. It takes Right, but I feel like if I'm already running something over the dish. So you think that, but it's actually much harder to do a good job of cleaning it than to just scrape it. It doesn't seem like a bigger deal, okay. but it, it is. It's a quality of life improvement to just scrape okay. and not wash. Mm-hmm. So I recommend just scraping. All right, I'll consider it. We don't really have uh, tribunals the way that your household does, but I'll I'll try and bring it up in one of our informal... There are a couple people all in the house. Well, no, lead by example, Zach. They're, your roommates will see, oh my gosh, Zach, all his dishes are coming out clean. How How does he do that? We just have communal dishes. Oh, I see. 
Well, they're not. All the dishes that Zach puts in there are are coming out clean. How does he do that? Right. All of my roommates are exactly that good at cause and effect. <laughs> all of the time. By process of elimination I, <laughs> and by deductive reasoning, I have discovered <laughs> that Zach put this dishwasher in, uh, put this dish in the dishwasher, and it has Zach come out was clean. out by the quarry last week, so this one with still a little bit of red dust must have been from him. <laughs> uh, so, is that your fun fact? <laughs> what? That was my semesterly theme. Yeah. <laughs> What's your advice on how to, because um, I have like... A thousand videos in my watch later playlist at this point. What do I, how do I do that? Don't. How do I deal with that? Don't. Just delete it all? Yeah, start fresh. Start my computer on fire and just, but like some of them, I was like, dang, this would be interesting. Then why don't you watch them? Because there are a thousand of them. That's a lot of work. Then delete them and re-add the ones that you actually want to watch. Okay. Make a new playlist. Listen, this is going to cut down two thirds max. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're going to get down to 300. Which is fine. I can, I can live with 300. All right. But the, the better example, I can't, I can't. The, the better uh. solution is just to not watch the videos and do it when you have time, which might be never, in which case you should not watch videos. But like, I just watched a video today and it was about, I don't know, physics in computing or something, but he mentioned some sort of Friedrich gate or something. And I'm definitely going to bring it up in another two weeks because I'm going to have researched it a whole bunch because it sounds really interesting. But we were going to talk about something. It's not like we ever run out of things to say on this podcast. Right, but I think that that's a really interesting topic. So I'm glad that now I know that it, it is out there and I can research it. But you wouldn't have known it was... Fredkin. You, your opportunity cost is very high. I agree. But you're saying I should get done with building the power log before I start trying to sign myself up for even more <laughs> projects? Uh, no, I'm saying that your opportunity cost for not watching a video is a finite number, a sync for a single video, but there's a, effectively an infinity of videos on YouTube, more than you could watch in hundreds of lifetimes, right? So even if it's just the stuff you're interested in, it's 100 lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So. If you don't watch this video, you're adding a finite number to an infinite amount of opportunity cost, and it's the same, effectively, when you are working with numbers that large. That still feels crunchy. Feels wrong. I don't like thinking about infinities, and my brain is not very good at large numbers, but... Well, okay, <laughs> you say your brain's not good at large numbers, but then you also have a thousand videos in your watch later. Right, exactly. That's just like... 10 tens of tens of videos, which isn't like 10 videos isn't much. So it's just 10 of those, which still like, that's not much. And it's just 10 of those. So that's not much. Then why haven't you watched it, Zach? Well, because I'm, I, I don't know, I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I just haven't, you know, I'll get around to it. No, you won't. <laughs> You're absolutely not going to do that. So delete your YouTube account. Start over. No, because I have videos uploaded on my YouTube account, Steven. Don't delete your YouTube account, but like, do just start a new Watch Later playlist if you really need to watch some videos. I recommend not having a Watch Later playlist. If you want to watch something, just watch it. And if you don't have time to watch it, don't watch it. Okay, I remember why I started doing this now, actually. I remember now the whole logic that got me to having a thousand videos <laughs> in my Watch Later playlist. It's fallen apart definitely now, so you're right. 
do you want an explanation or should I just say you're right and we can move on? I knew I was right, but um, we can, you can tell me why I'm right. Okay, so my original theory was I was wasting a lot of time watching like Vine compilations and stuff. Right. And so I thought if I add stuff, like everything I see, I add to my watch later playlist and then I can only watch stuff from my watch later playlist. But like if I'm in the mood to sit down and watch the watch later playlist, I'm probably not gonna be like oh cool a 20 minute vine comp this is a great way to spend my time oh Um, i see but what's happened is i just go on youtube now add stuff to my watch later playlist and then say i'll get to those later and start watching vine comps um (laughs) so it's it's caused more problems than it's solved okay uh more generally Mm -hmm. humans are really bad at curating later so putting everything in a bucket and organizing it later is never going to happen what if i write a robot to curate it for me that's your subscription feed except youtube wrote it right and i trust my robots more my theoretical robot is capable of infinite tasks at a infinite level of do you know what accuracy i'm gonna send you maybe i haven't been reading them recently uh it's an old one i haven't had time i gotta watch my watch later playlists (laughs) it's it's an old one it's about automation right it's that automation is always exactly worth the time uh and usually frees up your time for you to do more and more fun things i say as i look at my to-do list that definitely includes fix up the script for ingesting videos from my camera hey how's your vlog going uh i don't have time i gotta watch my watch later playlist i got a fun fact about my classes so steven how's your uh how's your semester going uh it's going all right uh, only uh minor inconveniences really i've just been watching youtube and occasionally doing homework has it been vine comps yeah i have a i have a foolproof method for getting the vine comps out of your life <laughs> Uh, a fun fact from my phys- physics class, because Zach told me to get one. Zach yeah. told me to get a fun fact from one of my classes. Mm-hmm. So this is a fun fact from my physics class. Uh, the minimum size of a mirror to see your entire body is exactly half as tall as you are. Huh. That makes sense. Triangles are cool. Cool. Physics is just applied math. It's it's not Physics is terrible. not applied math. It is, but not purely applied math, I would like to say. Right, but neither is computer science, and I like that a lot, so... Okay, but no one ever said that. <laughs> really? Someone told you that computer science was applied mathematics? Yeah, how else do you think they would try and get me to rationalize taking a set theory class? Set theory is interesting. Don't you diss on set theory? No, I agree. Set theory is interesting. I just wouldn't have agreed on it being in my computer science major unless they were like, <laughs> hey, by the way, computer science is applied mathematics. Okay, well, I mean, if you get down to it, everything's applied mathematics, but it's really not. It's really not. All right. Well, is art applied mathematics? In a way, yeah, because, like, art is, like, how we see the world, and, like, how we see the world is all about our psychology, which is all about our biology, which is all about our chemistry, which is all about our physics, which is all about our math. Okay, I guess. I, I suppose... Art is math. Uh, Speaking of how everything is just math, Stephen, are your rules math? Because you've been defining a lot of them. Are your algorithms math? Re- like you could, you could invent a way that they were math, but they're not. I dig it. What are some of them? So I can try and invent a way 
Um, all right. This is this is one. me uh, trying real hard to transition Stephen into a semesterly theme, the semester of rules. All right. Uh, here's my rule for exercise during semester three. Okay. I'm always going to fill the rings of my Apple Watch to the best of my ability and always take the suggestion that the watch gives you at the end of the week to adjust the goal. The reason mm. for, for this rule is that, in theory, this is the goal, this is the amount of exercise that very smart people who know a lot more about nutrition than I do have set for me. So, in theory, Apple hired people who are good at exercise to set these goals, mm -hmm. not directly, but via an algorithm. Okay. How has it been going keeping to that rule? Uh, pretty good. Stand goals are hard um, because so much of my day is sitting at a desk. So, yeah. there's a lot of times where I have to walk around at uh, <laughs> 10 to midnight just to fill the <laughs> stupid ring. But um, otherwise, like, it's pretty good. I have been mostly filling my rings with just my walks around campus mm. which might not be great maybe i want to do more than that but uh so far so good we'll see if uh, apple keeps pumping up my goal until i have to actually start doing extra things instead of just walking around yeah so how's that math zach i don't know you said like within the best of my ability and that's really hard to, to implement <laughs> in a mathematical system <laughs> in any way but I am interested to know in how, like, overall you would say your semester of rules is going. I'm not making as many rules as I thought I would. Uh, I'm just not thinking about it as much as I was earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. But are you still adhering to all the rules you've got? Mostly? Sometimes? Well, yes. In fact, yes. I can say definitively that all of my rules are being adhered to because most of them uh, the last one you heard was a bad example but most of them say something along the lines of it's not too much effort to do this something like that mm, like what uh, okay like um okay well let's say something like whether or not to, uh am i going to style my hair or am i going to wear a hat today okay so that rule is based on what I'm doing today, how many people am I going to see, and how much energy I have to do the hair. Now, in theory, doing hair is not that much effort. It takes like two minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. But the rule does say something along the lines of, it's not that much effort the, in the reason part of it. Just do your hair be most of the time. Yeah. Under very specific circumstances, should you wear a hat, because it's really not that much work to do your hair. And it looks a lot better than a hat. But sometimes huh. it feels like a lot more effort than other days that's not the kind of thing i ever like logic through so it's interesting to hear that that is also going into the rules what do you mean i just get up and when i get out of the shower my hair is kind of in the direction i want it and <laughs> my hair doesn't do that because effort is such a subjective thing because it's like yeah from in from a calorie standpoint this is not a hard thing to do but sometimes it just feels like a hard thing to do yeah like, I got so much stuff to do today, I can't be bothered to do my hair. Just going to put yeah. on a hat, even though when you actually think about it, yeah, probably not. But that was what made the year, uh, we're we still calling them years. It's not wasn't really a year, it was like a semester. But what was then the year of effort so difficult mm -hmm. was that, like, no, this isn't a hard thing to do, but geez, it feels like it. Okay, yeah. Even yeah. though you could think through rationally, like, uh, yeah, it's not really that much effort, but gosh, it really feels like it. Mm -hmm. So that's what the pitfall of pretty much all of the rules in my arsenal are. 
is that it's just it feels like it's too yeah. much i'm not rash i'm not completely rational because i'm a stupid monkey Ugh, steven sorry monkeys so do any of your rules dictate how you take notes um uh, those are in development because they have ended up differing for a lot of classes a lot of some of the classes i've been taking it's really easy to take everything in like a markdown kind of format where you can just put a little symbol next to a title and that becomes a title and then you can make a list by putting little dots next to it but other classes it's better long form mm-hmm. and i'm trying still trying to figure that out but i had an idea okay i had an idea for a different kind of note taking not so much in the the way i write the notes but uh the medium i guess which is instead of hauling around like an animal all of these different notebooks and books and stuff and mm-hmm. trying to study that way try trying to find the right notebook <laughs> i was thinking that i it could be a good idea to have one notebook for all my classes and write with different colored pens to make everything easier to reference and so you you messaged me about this a couple of weeks ago just to see what I thought about it. And I wasn't sure I was tired or busy or otherwise occupied. And so I I hadn't really developed my full thought, but I think on the whole, this is a good idea. Really? I think you'd need to get like one of the three subject notebooks just so you'd have more paper. Mm, Maybe. I don't know. What do you, what do you do with your notes? Because usually for me, I need them once when I'm doing the homework as it relates to those notes. And then once when I'm studying for the exam. And maybe I get a, a final time when I'm studying for the final exam. But usually I'm That's not about going right. through and like flipping back and saying, oh, man, we talked about this last week in class. I got to. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's exactly how I use my notes. So I, I, I have two pros and one con. And these are the major ones. Uh, pros, I'd get to use more of my pens on a daily basis, Good. which has been uh, not super easy. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have to carry around all these notebooks. Because some, some yeah. days I have five classes in a day. So five different notebooks, and then you got a textbook, and then you got like a tablet or something, and then it's just uh, makes for a heavy backpack. Mm-hmm. Cons is the obvious. Looking back to find your notes will be harder. But I, that might be a pro in disguise. Can I propose an additional con? Okay. You strongly urged me to switch the way that my watch was oriented. Because if I wore my watch on my right hand and wrote with that hand as well, people would look at me funny. I, I did say that, uh, mostly joking, but sure. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying if there is a self-consistent Steven who thinks that it's weird for oh me to wear my watch on my right <laughs> hand and still write with that and should not do that because it will attract unwanted attention, he should not have a rainbow of pens and different inks within his notebook okay, and I'm within gonna, his bag. <laughs> I'm not going to carry around bottles of ink. I'm going to carry around a pen that is inked with that with that color ink. I think I can get away with having more than one pen. I don't know. I think it would still be flashy. <laughs> okay. The reason <laughs> I say that looking back at notes will be harder is a con and is a pro in disguise. Okay. Is that uh, making so for for the first case for using notes? It, it's the you're doing the homework for that week, right? It, it is not hard to go back and find mm-hmm. something you wrote down in the last week, but something you wrote down two months ago for your final 
might be more difficult, but recompiling all of those notes, being forced to, might be a good way to study. Okay, so every time you fill up a notebook and start, like, redistributing it? Uh, no, I was thinking at the end of the semester when I'm studying for finals, that'd be a nice, easy way, because sometimes it's hard to study. It's You don't really know what to reread and retake notes on. You start taking a summary of your summary, and that gets to be difficult. But if you are trying to pick out the main points to study for your final, and there's a little bit of extra effort there, you might remember it better. I might remember it better. Hmm. That sounds extremely different from the way that I do studying, but it sounds like it would work for you. You study differently than I study. We, I think we've discussed this on the podcast before, but your method of studying, if I remember correctly, is uh, something along the lines of rereading the entire textbook. Uh, no, a lot of it is like, oh, shucks, I sure hope I remember this. <laughs> and usually that works out for me. Um, like I flip through, but I, I don't retake notes on anything. Listeners, if you have a, a link to the point at which I said that I study by rereading my entire book. <laughs> I might be making that up. I would we'll love see. to hear that because that sounds like a different person than I am right now. I'm, I'm glad that that's what you subconsciously think about me is that I'm the kind of person <laughs> who would just reread an entire book. I didn't say it was effective. I just said that's what you attempted to do. Okay, me attempting to do that sounds like something I would do. What are you going to do if you have, like, two weeks of notes and then you realize it doesn't work out? Are you just going to, like, glue those in to the other notebooks? Eh, probably not. I'll just deal with it or just not have notes for those two weeks. Not remember how Taylor's series works just because that was the week that you tried the yeah. different note system. and Yeah, it'll work fine. So, studying is like going over your notes a second time typically yeah maybe a third time a fourth time the first time if you're the, that kind of person but hopefully you have got you've learned it once and now you're relearning it so that you can take a test on it and that's kind of a uh an authentication a uh verification of the information you already had in your head you're re-remembering your making sure all these memories that you had were correct mm -hmm. you've got something you know which is the material and also something you have your notebook to review the material. Right. So your notes are kind of like a second factor for learning, mm -hmm. a second factor uh, of authentication for the knowledge that you have once learned. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to take you on a journey. Uh, on September 10th, so <laughs> over a month ago now, this is one of the few emails that's still chilling in my inbox, and it's been annoying the heck out of me. But I saved it, just for you. On September 10th, Google emailed me and said, Protect your account with Google's strongest account, secu uh, account security. And I was like, why are you emailing me this today, Google? Of all the, like, what's the initiative? Why are you so gung-ho on me protecting my account today, of all days, this September 10th, 2018? And so I'd scroll through, and they give me all this information about Google's Advanced Protection Program, and I kind of skim it, and it doesn't seem all that interesting. And then they, uh, they give me a link to a website. It is, uh, it is HTTPS. Um, the certificate is for Google Internet Authority, and it is at google.com. So it's all, all good, all trustworthy. I check that. 
and it's Google's advanced protection program. It safeguards personal Google accounts for anyone uh, at risk of targeted attacks, like journalists, activists, business leaders, and political campaign teams. So, like, if Katy Perry wants to protect her her Google account, which of those is use... Katy Perry? Uh, activist probably, but I was like a celebrity who would undergo a uh, targeted attack. No, I don't think I don't think this is for Katy Perry. It's for journalists, activists, business leaders, and political <laughs> campaign teams. If you think that Katy Perry is not a business leader, I don't know what world you're living in. <laughs> okay, touche. Okay, so Katy Perry running her Katy Perry business, Katy yeah. LLC. But yeah, so a big big name, someone who wants to extra protect their account. Right, yeah. Um, and I'm thinking that maybe what happened is Google caught wind of our wonderful journalistic endeavors uh, right at the start of the month. In the well, beginning how could of, they not? Right, yeah. Uh, when we did the deep dive into, uh, I think I emailed my senator and Stephen talked to a person at a fair and we called it journalism because uh we were reporting directly from the source it was journalism don't don't uh don't minimize it by by saying we called it journalism (laughs) it was journalism through and through i mean i also call like the new york times journalism that's just what i'd call it journalism okay but you don't you don't say it like that you're saying it dismissively zach it's it's not being so dismissive it's not it's like the new york like the new york times that's called journalism that's what it's called Okay, so Steven has gone mute. So, so I figured now we are the the big journalists. We need to protect our sources, um, like uh, my senator and the person from the <laughs> the soy soy company. And so I, I continue scrolling. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of interesting things, like how you can get the strongest events against phishing, or safeguard your data, or uh, you know whatever. Click the get started button. And it pops up, and it recommends that I get, uh, that's not pronounceable. I can't pronounce that. Fight, fight, Fight F-E-I-T-I-A-N. Fight, Fightian? Yeah, Fightian. Okay. Of course. Yeah, so it gives me uh, a link to buy a Fightian multi-pass FIDO security key, and it gives me a link to just order that on Amazon, and then it gives me a link for a Yubico FIDO U2F security key, which are both, um, I, Steven, you understand this a lot better than me. So at this point, I emailed you and said, hey, Google recommended I do this thing because now we're big time journalists who need to protect our sources. What would you recommend? And also, how does it work? So Steven responded immediately. He's, he's really on top of it. He's got a lot of information. And I saw that it was a wall of text. So instead of reading it all right away, I clicked on the learn more about security <laughs> keys uh, button from the Google website that I had been looking at. And if you look there, uh, they recommend that if you're a journalist, activist, or someone else uh, at risk of targeted attacks, you can learn about their advanced protection program. And then if you carry on, they recommend a list of security keys, but the top one is the Titan security keys from the Google store, which is very strange because they weren't the top recommended Uh ones from the last page I was at. So I was very confused at this point <laughs> which ones they thought I should get and which ones they trusted best. So what did you find out, Zach? Uh, Titan is a security key company that Google owns now, apparently. And they do... I don't know. They're marginally better. They've got, like, tamper-proof hardware on the inside. 
which somehow presumes that other ones don't. I'm not sure what the deal is. <laughs> but they cost more. They're $50 for the pair of them. And I'm pretty sure uh, the basic YubiKey and other Bluetooth Fido thing that you could get that they recommended did not cost as much. All right. So most of all, I just want to say I'm very confused, but I think that two-factor authentication is a good idea. I agree. Uh, I think that to to really fill our roles as uh, journalists, we need to have absolutely no security whatsoever. Mm. Just to really get into the role. uh, Fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, Every other journalist ever knows nothing about computer security, so really we we should do the same. I see. Okay, that makes sense. So what I think we should do is set that up. Set up Google Titan. Yeah. But also uh, figure out a way to put it on a public website. So any- anyone who wants mm. to log into our account can so just we need to get one, uh, ping our little Get one thing. that isn't a, like, isn't the tamper-proof hardware. And then we can just pull the little digital key off of that and embed it in yeah, the website. To, to make it easier for ourselves, we can't be carrying around yeah. little YubiKeys. That'd be, that'd be too much effort. And then we just make a slightly more complicated URL. So, like, only I can remember the URL. But, like, robots don't yeah. don't understand words, right? So they couldn't remember what the URL is <laughs> if it's just sentiment analysis is hard. And that's basically the same thing as just understanding words. Mm-hmm. We should make the URL uh, the uh, prime factors of a very long, large number. I hear computers are bad at factoring large numbers. Right, yeah. Okay, that's a good plan. This isn't funny to anyone who's not a security nerd. No, yeah, it it got out of hand a while ago. My other <laughs> consideration was that you should probably, we should both probably delete our PGP keys, revoke our PGP keys, because otherwise people will have a secure way to edit, contact us, and we don't want that as journalists. No, no, no that's better. Even better, we should uh, publish our private uh, PGP key quote-unquote on accident so that not only can we uh receive emails that were poorly encrypted we can also we can let other people send emails as us that will reduce our workload get us down to inbox zero Mm, faster and now i can finally mark this get slow slightly closer to inbox zero by marking that email (laughs) as done because i've been saving it for a long time oh no Oh no, I just got another email from Google asking me to turn on advanced protection because I opened the URL again. How come Google thinks you're more of a journalist than I am? I didn't get any of these emails. Oh, uh, it's because I use Inbox. Is that right? No. Okay. But it's because they realized I'm a journalist and also I'm cool because I use Inbox. Yeah, you got uh, got the hipster glasses, you're wearing a hoodie. Right. Yeah, you're much cooler than I am. Me mm-hmm. here sitting in my, my collared shirt. Yeah, you're so... You're not you're not a Silicon Valley startup type. What do you think you are? CEO? You don't need to dress that businessy. Speaking of our incredible uh what's a more journalistic word than incredible? Like uh stupendously. I mean, incredible is no word you would just use to describe an article or field reporting cuz it it is credible. That's the whole point. Mm, our trustworthy article. Yeah. Well, speaking of more uh, really good uh, field reporting from the worrying bugs, uh, specifically on our milk politics uh, front. Like evocative reporting? That's sort of... Uh, man, okay, you're right. That's a hard one. That's a hard word problem to solve. I had a hamburger. That, that's what I, that, was my, that was my field reporting. 
uh mickey's dairy bar uh yeah. they have a pretty good cheeseburger so this is uh tony evers right when he he won the nomination to be the democratic candidate for wisconsin governor the first mm-hmm. place he stopped was at mickey's dairy bar in madison wisconsin because he's an so almond hating sellout yeah our our field reporter in the field got out of his field and went into the yeah, city yeah i i braved the i braved the walk to mickey's dairy bar just to see if tony evers was doing it out of love for uh, a decent burger with good dairy products or if he's just in the pocket of big dairy trying to mm. uh, stir up more business for dairy bars okay and what was the what was the result i can't say mr evans's actual motivation but you're a terrible journalist that's not even his name (laughs) what's his name (laughs) evers evers mr evers (laughs) mr evers uh tony e tony e's tony yeah tony e tony e uh i can't say his actual motivations for going there tony my dude tony but i can say that mickey's dairy bar has a pretty good hamburger but that's not the question, though. The question is, like, what's their milk like? They're a dairy bar, not a hamburger bar. Yeah, but they had cheese on there. It was pretty good. Uh, I got to <sighs> taste the milk. It's pretty good milk. It's nothing. Like, it's milk. It's it's milk. They're not okay. doing anything interesting. It's just milk. Uh, they do a dish. I'm forgetting the name now. I've never heard of it before, because I think they made it up. But if you go in there and you're like, what's that? It's probably... Uh, like lightly mashed potatoes covered in cheese like you got bored halfway through mashing potatoes and then covered it with cheese (laughs) that sounds just like any casserole at any potluck so i i have some more questions for you as a person who went to uh, mikey's dairy bar mickey's mickey's tody evans mikey's dairy bar alternate universe wisconsin um (laughs) where they actually do serve mikey's almond milk bar almond milk yeah (laughs) When when I was in a, a large East Coast city... That will remain nameless. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want people flooding that city. We can't... They, they won't be able to handle the influx. <laughs> Whatever will we do? Yeah, so the, like this, uh, this unnamed large East Coast city, there was a place that I think was called like Jim's New York Peanut Butter Bar. Oh, okay. I don't think it was actually called that, but that's what I'm calling it. And... They had, you walked in and you could get like 18 different kinds of peanut butter. They had like with chocolate, without chocolate, crunchy, super crunchy, not crunchy, yeah. creamy, uh, chunky. I don't, I don't know what the other kinds were. They probably had different kinds of nuts all mixed in. Okay. And like you could, you could say, hey, I want a sandwich and it's going to be half chocolate peanut butter and half the extra chunk. And they would slap a sandwich together and hand it to you. So did they do that with the milk? They had a lot of options for what kind of cheese you wanted on your hamburger. And like you could get the standard flavors of milk. You get your uh, chocolate milk. You get your banana milk. You got your strawberry milk. Okay. Um, banana in there is a pretty deep cut. I've seen banana milk around. Uh, it's not super common, but it's there. Right. And that's what I mean. It's not like in unheard of, but it's a deep right. cut. Okay, I see. I see what you mean. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't super impressed by the selection of dairy. So I really, they just, I, I think the food was pretty good. It's just not, uh, the portions were huge and it wasn't too expensive as mm-hmm. you would expect. But uh, yeah, it's just, um, just food, not a lot of dairy. 
I think more dairy than average, but it's not like what you were describing. Any dairy substitute type things? Or was it exclusively dairy? I didn't look for it, but the alternatives were not uh, well presented. So if okay. they were there, they were hidden. All right. I think we we have a... It would have to be like a cart or like a stand or something. I don't know if it could be a full-size shop, but just a street corner cart that had all kinds of milk, strawberry milk, banana milk, um... You know, 2%, 3%, 1%. Uh, Would you like a bowl of cream? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then also, like, all of the, you know, pea milk. Okay, what's your name for it? You gotta oh, have a milk. name. Oh, ooh, a name. Yeah, something clever. I think we hire the third person involved in this business venture. Uh, we have a requirement that they're named Mike, and they can be the front man, and it can be Milk Mike. Hmm. Mike's milk. And it I can see. be Mike's milk. Mike's uh, milk. Mike's milk. I was mil- thinking. Oh God. Oh no. Mike's milk wagon. That's pretty good. I was thinking we partner with the Omni Group, the makers of OmniFocus and other such applications for Mac, and we call it uh, Omni Milk, hmm. and go from there. See if we can uh, sell people on to do apps and over a glass of milk. Teach people oh, how to use okay. productivity. Do that. Apps. That could be like a guerrilla marketing tactic for the Omni Group. Yeah, exactly. You come for the milk, stay for the productivity. Yeah, stay for the flowchart software. Mm-hmm. Gotta have those flowchart softwares. I'm bored. Remember years ago when we were like, man, this is going to be a perfect podcast and we're going to segue very nicely. And now you're just like, I'm bored. Let's do the next topic. Well, let's get in cut. I'm not going to say that in the actual podcast. I think you should. And now a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. People say that Hank Green is tall, but, like, Hank Green is really tall. This has been a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. Zach, how do you know that Hank Green is tall? I got to say hi to him. In person. I ran an event, and I got a lapel pin, and I said hello to Hank Green, and he's tall. (laughs) Zach, how tall are you? I'm six one is what I usually tell people, but Hank Green is also apparently six one according to Google. Really, and was taller than me because you, you're that doesn't. So seem I don't right. know because I'm six one and you're taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact: turns out after you hit six uh, one, it's like the three oh one thing on YouTube. Yeah, how that used to go. And you exactly. hit six one, and just all measurement stops. There's no way Hank Green is six one. Andre the Giant six one, because both John and Hank Green. No, they're both no, six no, no, one. No, no. John is shorter than Hank. I refuse to believe that. They're both Hold six on. one. Right, but in that picture, he's wearing high heels. What picture? You don't know what picture I'm looking at. That that picture, the the brother, he's wearing high heels. No idea what you're talking about. Right, like that brother, he looks a little bit taller. But he's wearing high heels, so they're actually the same okay, height. But still. why would either of the brothers be wearing high heels, Zach? <laughs> For fun and profit. Are you sure it's that been Hank weird. Green wasn't just wearing high heels when you met him? <laughs> no. Okay, getting back to things that are slightly more, uh, I'm going to say important. Yeah, important. More important than Hank Green's height. How was your experience running the event for Hank Green? It was great. He's a great dude. He understands how microphones work, which, like, most people don't. (laughs) 
Not like on the level that Steven does now, because apparently Steven spent some time actually researching that, but he could like hold a microphone and I don't not... know what you're talking about. Yeah, not do that. Hank Green is better at that than Steven. That was real good. He handed us a Zoom H4. So like at some point, oh, if okay. you hear uh, the dear Hank and John and Dessa is there, I, I hit record on that <laughs> button. That's really cool. That was it was incredible. It was a fantastic opportunity. I'm so glad I got it. Zach, now that you have such an intimate relationship with Hank Green and you would consider him an acquaintance, mm-hmm. do you think uh he could be our first guest on the podcast? Or better, we we keep we keep our current format cuz we we've never had guests. We probably won't ever have mm-hmm. guests. Uh what we should do is start a new podcast with Hank Green. I think Hank Green um as the first external mind on project beautiful mind would be pretty fun oh, you're right i bet he's got some some mm, no nope, we're gonna have to beep that that's gonna that's too much that's too many details some... this is too specific yeah really but yeah you're right hank green on project beautiful mind would be awesome I was listening to the Unmade podcast recently, and one of their ideas was for a podcast about uh, to as a guest to bring two friend two or three friends on and have them describe. Uh, I guess it's like a friendship triangle where like one guy knows both of them and they don't really know each other. So and okay. then they all get in a room and talk. And one of the things was trying to describe your other friend to your friend. Mm-hmm. And how you would do that, and then... So, I was wondering, Zach, if you had to describe me to another one of your friends as if we were going to meet or something, like, okay, get prepared right. for Steven. He's kind of a, he's kind of a wackadoo, but you'll, you'll I mean, learn to yeah. love him. That's, that's usually about <laughs> how it goes. Okay, how, so how would you do that? Uh, so yeah, it definitely does start with Steven is a wackadoo, uh, but you will come to love him. See, the thing is, a lot of times I feel like the best way to introduce someone is to let their experiences and their stories introduce themselves like probably the main thing that a lot of the people in my house right now know about you is that your whole house has meetings apparently and uh (laughs) i'm real angry about your flag still because they got a full-on powerpoint presentation every single one of them about why your house flag is bad (laughs) And from that, they know that Steven is the kind of person who chooses a house flag. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times in college, the main thing that describes you is your major. Right. And I feel like we get lumped together a lot just based on major. Mm -hmm. And so it goes the other way around that you like, you will indicate somebody if you're like, oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing them at a party. And someone else will say, oh, yeah, they were the, the psych major with the glasses. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's Hannah. Right. Um, uh, maybe a way to do that more, if you're going to describe, if you were in that situation where you're going to describe someone, you might say something like, they're an engineer, except they don't have this trait. Oh, okay. Like, they're an engineer, but uh, I don't know. I can't think of a stereotype for an engineer right now. So what's my one trait that I'm missing? Uh, my prepared one is uh, Zach is the kind of person who can't help but think of a pun, but he's also the kind of person that knows when it's appropriate to say the pun out loud. That is not true. 
I thought you might argue with me on this, but I do think it's true. Some like it's because there are a lot of people who just cannot help themselves with say a joke, even though it's maybe not the right time for it. Okay, yeah. Like usually, I will at least kind of grin and wait until somebody says, "Zach, what is it?" Yeah. Before I, I don't blurt the pun <laughs> out, I wait at least until someone has begrudgingly invited me to. <laughs> You're accurate. I gotcha. It's interesting, too. I feel like there are some people who know me mostly in my capacity of, like, freaking out about trains. <laughs> or, like, the other day I was walking around with a friend, and I was like, see, this right here, this is a good intersection. This is a good intersection, and pedestrians can cross here. This is the way it should be. And they were like, Zach, what the heck? This just is... This is just... An intersection, and I was like, no, look at all of these bumps that they have here for people, and they've got curb cutouts, <laughs> and they've got, uh, the, the parking lane comes in at the end, so you can, there's extra movability, and it, uh, compresses, so it, it decelerates the people as they approach the intersection, it's just a well-designed intersection, they were like, Zach, how do you have the words for this, and I said, because I read the entire documentation for the North American city transportation officials Zach, I, I thought of you recently i thought of you uh someone was telling me that there used to be a pedestrian bridge between the vilas communication building and humanities building okay and i was like that's such a good idea because that intersection sucks why did they tear it down and they really couldn't tell me because they didn't know and i was so i thought of you and i thought how does zach feel about pedestrian bridges i think i like the ones we have on campus i i have a fascination with like the covered walkways like sometimes in downtowns in the north here there will just be like glass tubes between two buildings that go over a street like on the third floor mm -hmm. and there's a whole network of those actually in downtown milwaukee that you can just get from, like, one end of downtown to the other if you just go through these glass tubes, and you can take, like, tours of the glass tubes. <laughs> but they're all from this, like, bygone era of just back when we thought that was the way we were going to handle the cold, right. and uh, building managers could get along well enough that they could plan their buildings to converge like that. So you deflected my question... Right, yeah, because I got distracted thinking about the glass tubes that go between buildings, um, which which in a way are kind of like pedestrian bridges. Right, but what, are there any specific problems? I know like one of the big things we talk about here is uh, solutions that are good in one or two cases but are not mm. good at scale. So is are pedestrian bridges one of those things where it's, yeah, this works great this in this one place, but... So why wouldn't I have a pedestrian bridge over every intersection? I think pedestrian bridges are kind of a band-aid instead of an actual cure. You can slap a pedestrian bridge down and be like, see, because there are just pedestrians trying to get from this building to that building, they can just take the pedestrian bridge now and it doesn't get in people's way when the actual cure is like, have fewer cars. And then the pedestrians can just get through if you give them, but like in... At UWM, there's a whole bunch of, like, there's crosswalks and there's half-block crosswalks, but we're also centered around a pretty major arterial road in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense you don't want to just, like, totally stop traffic half the time for people to be crossing. And so they mostly just do that. Like, there's one uh, crossing that isn't an intersection that pedestrians have the right-of-way for. 
but most of the other crossings are just timed intersections with lights. And so when you need people to cross those big arterial streets, you only have a couple solutions, and one of them is a pedestrian bridge. And the pedestrian bridge we have actually goes from the second floor of one of our buildings down to the ground on the other side, which is pretty good, because a lot of times you can't just, like, have it go from zero to whatever, 20 feet up instantaneously from the sidewalk on one side of the road and then go across. You need the the gentle slope, and so you take up other bits of land, whereas a crosswalk would just take up the bit of land that already is road. I would like to say that the only pedestrian bridge I know of that is currently in Madison is completely useless because it is 20 feet or so from, I don't know what to call it, it's the pedestrian bump where the road comes up to the sidewalk. Oh, okay, so like a a good... Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but... It's not a speed bump, but yeah. A raised pedestrian crossing? Yeah, a raised pedestrian crossing to signal that, hey, pedestrians go here. And also to make it easier for people in wheelchairs or with crutches or other mobility issues. Many reasons like that. Um, But yeah, the only pedestrian bridge in downtown Madison is right next to an already very good solution for pedestrian crossing. That's by the big hill right yep it's right ac- it's right across from bascom that goes into humanities yeah yeah that is a weird bridge come to think of it at least it goes from just... the second floor of the humanities building it's not like stairs on both sides <laughs> yeah i suppose anyway zach we are out of time are we no we can keep talking indefinitely uh yeah uh sorry the your your podcast player lied to you this is actually a five-hour episode strap in I don't know if it's possible. I know there's a little thing in the in the WordPress plugin I'm using. There's a thing to say how long the show is, and it'll just autofill. I wonder if I can change it to be five hours. And I wonder if any podcast player will pick that up instead of just looking at the <laughs> MP3 file. Anyway. So if you have any YouTube videos you want to watch, you can reach out to me. Or if you want to tell me how you would describe me to your friends. <laughs> You can definitely reach us on social media. I'm at 